Well, good morning and Happy New Year to each and every one of you. So glad that you're with us online, glad that you're with us in the sanctuary. Thanks for making the kickoff to your new year a part of the Peachtree family, and we're so glad that you're a part of our family of faith. Hey, listen, I want to begin by asking you to ponder uh, this question. When was the last time you read poetry? And by that I mean, like, when was the last time you went to, like, a bookstore and bought a book of poems and came home and read it? Or when was the last time you, you went online and you, and you went and you were intentionally looking for, not like a quote, but like a poem that you were going to read, a whole poem? Or when was the last time you, you went to a poetry reading as an art event? I want you to turn to somebody next to you and answer the question, when was the last time you read a poem. Turn to somebody next to you and answer that question. <clears throat> I'm guessing that for a lot of you, I'm guessing that for a lot of you, it's, it's been a while. I, I was trying to eavesdrop on your conversations, and the first word I heard from somebody was college. So it's probably been a while since you've actually read a poem. If you're anything like what is typical for an American, it has been a long time since you have really read a poem. There was a survey that was done. It was a survey on the participation in the arts in America. It was in 2015, the data that I saw, and I want to show you an excerpt of it. Poetry reading was next to last of all of the categories. About 6% of people read a poem in the last year. And uh, that's about half the number of people that participated in knitting in order to give you some perspective on that. Twice the number of people knitted in the last year has read a poem. The only major category of people lower in participation in the arts than that of poetry was that of opera. That was the lowest major category that it was. Now you might be wondering, why do I bring that up? I bring that up because there's a Wheaton professor who's written a book called Enjoying the Bible, and his argument is the closest parallel that he can come to, come to of the avoidance and the aversion that we have as modern-day Americans to reading God's Word is that for us, we have this kind of idea that it's kind of like reading poetry. Never mind the fact that a third of the Bible is poetry. But what's interesting is, is that we stand at the crossroads of a juxtaposition in our country that really doesn't make a lot of sense. And that is this. I combed through the research of this last year, and the most recent research that we have from the Barna Institute is that 75% of Americans believe in the Bible in some form or fashion is the Word of God. And yet only 30% of us read it with any regularity. And I would say that that number 30% might be a little inflated because it is self-reporting. In other words, 30% of us say that we read the Bible once a week or more. You know, when I sit down and I talk to people who are outside the church and the questions of the Bible come up, they tell me that they want to know more about the Bible. And when I talk to people inside the church and ask them questions, they tell me that they want to know more about the Bible. There is a hunger. There is a desire. 
And yet at the same time, we don't actually read our Bibles. That for many of us, if we had done the same question that I began with about poetry, of when was the last time you really read your Bible? I don't mean in church. Um, I mean like on your own. Our answers for a lot of us would be, it's been a long, long time. And so what we're going to do this year is we're going to change all of that. We're going to change all of that because this year's goal and objective is to put a Bible in every hand and God's story in every heart. We gave away over 4,000 Bibles on Christmas Eve. And if we need to order more, we will. And we have come up with a reading plan for the first 11 months of the Bible that's about 30 minutes of reading per week. Can you do 30 minutes of reading per week? Can I have an amen? Can you do 30 minutes? You can. You can do 30 minutes of reading in a week. Just do a little less of the endless scroll and a little more of reading your Bible. That's all you have to do. And in doing that, we are going to walk through the 11 major moves of the Bible. We're not going to read every page of the Bible, but we are going to get through the whole story. And there's going to be a prayer of the week from the Psalms. And so in January, we're going to be talking about promise. And in February, we're going to be talking about freedom. In March, we're going to be talking about home and kingdom and division and exile and return. And then we're going to get to the New Testament where we talk about the ministry of Jesus. And then Jesus as Messiah. And then the mission of the early church. And then the renewal of all things in the promise that God is making all things new. If you will go on this journey with us, I promise you, you will never read the Bible the same way again. And we want to help equip you to do it. So I want to show you a little bit from our website and talk to you about some of the resources that we're going to help you do this. And so this is called Quest. It's exploring God's story together. If you text to 50700, which is our church's text platform, if you text Quest to that, we will send you reminders about your reading for the week. If you sign up for the email, we will send you email devotionals as well as some basic materials about the reading for each week that's coming up. And to make sure that you have absolutely no excuses whatsoever, several of us are going to a podcast studio, a professional podcast studio, every single month to record that week's and month's worth of readings for you. And so whether you're washing dishes or whether you're driving in your car or whatever it is that you're doing, you can listen to God's word and participate in the weekly reading. Come Thursday, we hope that you've read it. Um, I'm going to be hosting about 50% of the time a lunch and learn that's just over in the lodge. You can bring your own lunch. You can buy a lunch over in the lodge. There's no commitment. There's no sign up. There's no anything. You can just come and it's just a talk back session to ask questions and to personally engage in the reading of the week. The most important thing that I can tell you about reading the Bible is this. It was meant to be read together. And so my main request for you, even before you commit to say, yes, I'm going to read this Bible plan this year, my main request to you is that you find a friend, that you find a Bible reading buddy, and you can read it out loud together. You can just touch base once a week about reading it. You can, however you want to do to one, two, three people, just in a very micro group kind of way. Find somebody to read and go on this quest, on this journey with you. 
If you have a workout buddy that you meet at the gym, you're gonna be far less likely to skip your workout. And that's equally true in reading the Bible and having a partner to be able to do that with. And you have somebody to ask questions. Our hope is that this stokes your curiosity for God and for his word. And I wanna be abundantly clear about why we're doing this. Or maybe more specifically, why we're not doing this. True story, uh, during the Spanish Civil War of a, a guy who was the Prince of Granada who was in line for the throne of Spain. And the powers it be were afraid uh, that he would gain power and would ascend to the throne. And so they locked him away in a terrible prison that was known as the Place of the Skull, of which very few people got out alive. This prince went from being royalty to being in the confinement of a cell for over 30 years. The only book he was allowed to have was the Bible. Imagine your outside world shutting off and all you were left with is the Bible. Even then, I imagine you would be motivated to read it, right? It's not like you have Netflix or anything. When they got into his cell, he had etched into the walls a variety of things. After 33 years, he etched this. Psalm 118 verse 8 is the exact middle verse of the Bible. Ezra 7.21 contains all the letters of the alphabet except for J. Esther 9.8 is the longest verse of the Bible. And there's no word longer than six syllables in the Bible. Three decades with the Bible and that's what he took away. Which tells me that I need to be abundantly clear with you that this is not about getting you through the Bible, this is about getting the Bible through you. And as Alan Jacobs says, if you're reading your Bible and it doesn't increase your love of God and your love of neighbor, let me tell you, you're doing it wrong. And so this is not about just building up our biblical trivia and knowledge. This is about inviting us into the presence of a living God. And I believe that with open hearts and minds, if you do this, that that's exactly what will happen. So are you ready? I just spent 12 minutes pouring my heart out and telling you what we're going to do for the year. And I got the most lukewarm response to that ready. Are you ready? Yes. Let's begin. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God, now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, what? Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness and called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Look at this. You've already read the first five verses. 
You only now have 29 minutes and 30 seconds worth of reading to do this next week. We've gotten you jump-started. We've gotten you going. Aren't you intrigued? Somebody take 2% off of that man's tithe right there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Did you know that for most of the 20th century, scientists didn't believe that the universe had a beginning? Did you know that for most of the 20th century, scientists believed that the universe was eternal, that the universe had always existed because it was the only thing that could explain the evidence of the reality of what that they were looking at? Christians have always believed that there was a beginning, that there was a moment where nothing existed, and then there was a moment where God created everything. And scientists, in the consensus of the 20th century, particularly in physics and astrophysics, scoffed at the opening words of the Bible saying that it was ridiculous because the universe has always been here. And then we started developing tools to peer deeper into the universe. Then we started developing methods by better which of understanding the universe. And scientists all of a sudden looked up from all of the research and said, you know what? There was a beginning. They like to call it the Big Bang. We like to say, in the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. In fact, there's a a Jewish agnostic uh, scientist who at one time goes on this amazing conversation piece at the very end of his book, and he talks about what we learned in the 20th century in physics, and the very last of the line is is that that as scientists, we, we climbed the mountaintop, and we went up and we down, and we looked in all these different directions, and we got to the top of the mountains, and what did we discover in the 20th century but a group of theologians who have been sitting there all along? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When was the last time you praised God for there being a beginning? For there being this massed, mysterious, unbelievable universe that you live in? Let me be more specific. When was the last time you praised God for Jupiter and Saturn? And you might be like, I have never praised God for Jupiter and Saturn. Let me tell you why you should. Eric Metaxas in his book, Is Atheism Dead?, pulls forth some fantastic scientific research about how the fine-tuning of the universe continues to point us back towards God. And in that book, he talks about Saturn and Jupiter and how rare it is that in a solar system like ours, to have such large planetary bodies that are so far away from the star. In other words, as you might recall, that that we're the third planet in our solar system and that, that Saturn and Jupiter are further out. What we have discovered with our ability to now peer more into the universe, what we have discovered is that Jupiter and Saturn, as these large planets, divert so many asteroids and meteorites from hitting the Earth 
that literally, literally thousand times more asteroids and meteorites would have pummeled the earth were it not for these planetary linebackers that protect our planet. When was the last time you praised God for Jupiter and Saturn? Francis Bacon once said, a little bit of science takes a man away from God and a lot of science will bring him back in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I want you to just ponder by yourself for a second that when you hear the word God, just let your mind be open right now. I say the word God, what comes to mind for you? There's a 20th century theologian by the name of A.W. Tozer who says, the most important thing about you, the most substantive thing about you, the thing that drives you the most in your life is what is in your mind when you hear the word God. And that what has happened over the 20th century, particularly in modern countries, particularly countries like America, is that as we hear the word God today, that word has leaked of all of the majesty and wonder of who he really is. And that we've tried to tame God, reduce God, domesticate God. Tozer puts it this way, left to ourselves, we tend immediately to reduce God to manageable terms. We want to get him where we can use him or at least know where he is when we need him. We want a God in some measure control. And so when you hear the word God, do you really hear the majestic, magnificent, enormous, powerful being that created everything that you know to be true, from the intricacies of your body to planetary structures. Here's how Ken Boa puts it. He puts, before there was something, there was someone. Go back as far as your mind will allow you to, millions or billions of years. Go back beyond the creation of the world, before the existence of matter and energy, space and time, and drive a stake in the nothingness you imagine, and an odd thing happens. From behind the mysterious nothingness steps a benevolent creator to greet you. From out of the depths of his love, he spoke light into being, separating it from darkness. He created spiral galaxies and filled with innumerable stars related to each other by distances that can only be measured in light years. And out of all of the billions of places he could have chosen, he focused his attention on one tiny planet, lavishing upon the blue marble his love and creativity, giving it sun and moon and stars, atmosphere and dry land and water, oxygen and cherry trees and grapevines and hammerhead sharks and falcons and wild boars and hairy apes and llamas. So much beauty around us for just two eyes to see. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Somebody was playing a joke on me 
earlier this year in October. I don't know where we talked about it in staff meeting, but sometime in October we talked about our fears, and I talked about how much I am afraid of and hate spiders. And so somebody with the love of Jesus Christ in their heart, (laughs) but with a short tenure at Peachtree Church as an employee, (laughs) if I ever find out who they are, took black plastic spiders and would hide them in my office after hours. I have a little bowl of coffee pods. I would reach in to grab a coffee pod and there would be a spider. I think in psychology they refer this as exposure therapy because every day I would see another spider from somewhere else in my office. So this happened for a month. Ha, 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 ha. So we get to November, and in November, I walk up to my desk, and there is a black spider on my desk, and it's leftover from the spider escapade. I know because it's a spider that I put there. And next to the spider is a green lizard. And I literally am like, Seriously, now we have graduated to putting lizards in the pastor's office, and I'm about to go to a staff meeting, and I reach over to grab the lizard to take it to staff meeting to go confront the culprit. But as I reach out to grab the green lizard, it jumps, it scurries and jumps against the wall, and I scream bloody murder. (laughs) Because I thought it was a lifeless, inanimate object And all of a sudden, it was real. Have you ever had that experience with God? That you're reading the Bible, you're talking about God, you go to church, and you're like, God, 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 and you've been going through a sensitivity exposure therapy regimen where you have reduced the majesty of God over time such to the point that you're really comfortable with God. And that you've forgotten that he moves. You've forgotten that he's alive. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, my friends. And if you read the opening verses of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and you don't have a little bit of that pit in your stomach, and you don't have a little bit of that awe and wonder and fear, you're not reading it. Right. This is a man by the name of Mark Sullivan. When he was 47 years old, he had written a book that nobody was liking and was getting raked over in the press. His brother had just drank himself to debt. He was in over his head financially. It was a major business dispute. He was facing bankruptcy. And he was driving near his home in Montana. And there were really bad conditions outside. And he could not help but think about how he was more valuable to his family dead than he was alive. And he thought about running his car off the road. 
Yet he didn't because for the first time in his life, for a long time, he really prayed. And he said, God, give me a bigger story. That night when he was at a party, a social event, he ran into somebody who started talking about a man in Italy who was an unsung resistor and hero during World War II underneath Mussolini. And Mark heard the beginnings of a story that he said can't be true because if it was, we would have known it. And so he started to dig into the story that he heard that night, and he ended up writing the runaway best-selling book, Beneath a Starlit Sky. Mark's life was saved because he went from a little story to a really big story. A lot of people think that if you read the Bible, you just become more judgmental, more hypocritical, and more narrow-minded. And I am here to tell you that we need to enter into this with the open hearts and hands of God. Give me a bigger story. In the last couple of days, you might have heard of the passing of this figure. Who is this? It's John Madden, 12 Emmys, for my generation at least, the voice of NFL football. As a coach, no one has ever had a higher winning percentage with more than 100 games. Never once did he have a losing season. And most importantly of all, you know you've arrived when you've got a video game, right? There were lots of people eulogizing John Madden and the impact that he had on America. And I loved what they said. One person said, John made football accessible, real, close. You see, John wasn't the play-by-play guy. He was the color commentary guy. And it was his job to bring you near to the game, to not tell you necessarily technically what was happening, but to bring you into an awareness and an understanding of the drama of that moment. Here's why I bring up John Madden. You're going to have to do your own play-by-play. I can't hold your hand as you read this book every page. What I can promise you I'll do, I'll be your John Madden. I'll bring the color commentary. I'll help it come alive for you. For you see, There's a lot of people that think that reading the Bible is just as quaint and antiquated 
as reading a poem. But I believe it's as majestic as experiencing the wonder of the universe. And I firmly believe that if you go on this quest with us, your life will never be the same. Let's pray. God, turn our hunger for your word into action. Help us to participate in what we all probably long to do. Lord, help us to not just fill our minds with facts and to be really good at Bible trivia, but to get the Bible through us, to be able to see our love of you and our love of neighbor more and more each and every day. Lord, I thank you that you're the one who began all of this and that you're the one that sustains all of this. And so we thank you for the wonder of creation. We thank you for for things that we don't think about like Saturn and Jupiter. Help us to not be afraid of what we learn and science and reality as well as the pages of this book. When you come to mind, God, fill us with wonder and majesty. Help us to not reduce you to manageable terms, but to know that you're alive and that you invite us in to the largest and most expansive story at all. And so, God, will you convict us to do the play-by-play and to come to church to experience color commentary. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said.